Welcome to the Reframe Podcast. It has been a while since we have last recorded one of these, but this will be episode four. We're here to talk about church and culture. In the room with me, I have Pastor Victoria. Woo-hoo. I have Pastor Parker. Hello. It has been a good hot minute. And uh, I am Pastor Jason. And we are here really excited to be diving into what does it mean to be church and culture. We just preached about this at the church. Um, but really, I think in order to start this out, we kind of have to get on the same page as what is culture? Well, for starters, I definitely think culture is probably one of the most multifaceted concepts that you can talk about um, because there are so many things that influence culture, like where you grew up, so the region of a country or state that you're in. Um, Social media now plays a huge factor to that, but I think culture really is kind of like these common values that people live by. Uh, And something that I'm actually interested in, I guess now 2020, is the fact that culture is becoming very unison. So we're starting to see the same trends all over the U.S., not just regionally. We're starting to become almost like a singular type of culture, even though there's many sub-levels to that. Yeah, so I think culture is very fascinating. It's really funny to me because I was going to be like, well, it's this, (laughs) it's not this singular organism. I think that culture is an interesting animal because it's not static. I think it's really fluid and it changes all the time. And we see it differently. Having spent some time over the past few years, like in Texas and in Alabama and then Indiana, like the Midwest, and then coming back to the county. There are a lot of similarities, but there are some massive differences, be it fashion trends, be values for sure. Like politically, it's just, it's crazy. Culture is a hypercharged beast that everyone has opinions about, very strong opinions about. And it can be super divisive, but it can also be beautiful. So people don't really often think about culture. They don't really realize they're in a culture because they live it. But everyone is part of one, whether they think about it or not. Usually the word culture, people think overseas. Croatia, Thailand, where I've lived, they definitely have different cultures. And generally, it's a bunch of people that are living the same way, whether they think they are or not. They don't necessarily agree to everything, but their culture is still there. It's the underlying reason why they do everything. Our culture allows us to disagree, so we often have disagreements. It does? No way. That's hilarious. So inside this culture, we have a church culture. It's almost like a subculture of our North American culture. And a good way to look at it is denominations. Each denomination is a bunch of people that kind of have a certain set of beliefs, and they've agreed to believe that together. And so that's kind of like a denomination. Our cultures are, are similar. We have a certain way of living. We have a certain way of operating. And as Christians, we've had this agreement that we're going to operate and live a certain way. But over time, culture and church culture have begun to separate more and more. And it's become more of a jump for people to go from outside church culture to inside church culture. And I think that's what we're here to address. Maybe there shouldn't be a divide. Maybe there should. But we have one. What are we to do as church to even influence the culture nowadays? And how do we even step into this uh, giant? gap between us what do we do to bridge that at all i think the first thing that you need to understand especially when it comes to engaging culture is that we are no longer what people would classify as a christian nation that we are very much so post-christian and 
some people are even saying that now we're postmodern, that we're out of the modern era and we're kind of like into this new uncharted territory and the world is changing so rapidly that uh, even the secular world doesn't even know what to do, let alone the church. And oftentimes, uh, a comment that I hear from, from some young adults and teenagers is that the church is behind, uh, that the church isn't with the times, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think it's to kind of piggyback off of that idea, like we've taken that whole be in the world, but not of the world to an extreme. We have a huge opportunity, right, to engage our culture with the gospel of Jesus. But where is that line? Where's the balance between not conforming uh, to, to culture that doesn't hold the same values, doesn't hold Christian values, if you will? It's an interesting predicament, an interesting day. I, I think you just opened a can of worms in this discussion here because be in the world and not of the world is quoted often. And it's really what people are saying is we need to keep ourselves separated from culture so that we don't actually enter in and, and taint ourselves with the culture around us. That type of worldview is pretty common in the Christian church. You're not supposed to have non-Christian friends. You're supposed to avoid non-Christian places. Don't go where the non-Christians are. Which, as I say it out loud, even sounds silly, but yet it's a belief in many of our churches. And so as you open up that door and we're entering that conversation, where's the danger in that? Well, for starters, I don't think it's actually a belief. I think it's behavior. I don't, I don't think you'd, you'd find a Christian that would say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to interact with non... Well, you might actually find some people that, oh, yes, we understand. We need to reach the lost. We need to save the world because it's Jesus's mission and we love Jesus. But when it comes down to how we behave and how we act, um, a lot of times from a non-Christian perspective or a secular per- perspective, the church is just judgmental. I think it's more easier now to be differentiated from the culture in a positive sense. So if we're growing in love, it's easier to love our world because there's so much brokenness, there's so much hate, and so there's so much room for us to influence and almost like heal our, our surroundings and our culture. And to be like what Jesus has called us to be, ministers of reconciliation. Yeah. Right? So there's this interesting aspect, going back to what you were talking about, Jason, with... Uh, having these like ideals or or beliefs or behaviors, like you said, Parker, that uh, we have to be so different that we've identified with that, that kind of behavior rather than the person of Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus throughout the gospel, I mean, this gets harped on often, but he hung out with sinners. He hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the lepers. Um, And looking at a first century Jewish culture at the time, like that would have made him ceremonially unclean. Like it's crazy. So I think that the church runs the risk of identifying more with perceived religion and not the person of Jesus. And then bringing your point up of the opportunity that we have, if we are actually spending time and cultivating intimacy with Jesus, the fruit of the spirit are going to naturally manifest um, and people love feel-good stories. Like, people love uh, stories of hope. People love stories of peace and of joy and of kindness and gentleness and self-control. We're, like, they're attracted to that. So if we're naturally spending time with Jesus and that comes out, I think people are going to be attracted to that. Do you think that some of that confusion comes in with, when we talk about be like Jesus, people assume that we're talking about the sinless nature of Jesus? 
And so there's almost a uh, protection that we form around us so that we don't sin. We're trying not to sin. We're trying to be perfect rather than saying, be like Jesus, as in go out to the people. And so like that's kind of even that, that term itself is be like Jesus is almost an unachievable process if you're looking at the sinless nature, because as humans, I don't think we can ever get there. But we can be like Jesus in who we associate and how we reach the community. Yeah, that's a super good point. I don't think I've ever really considered that maybe we're trying to be like Jesus in the wrong ways. As I'm thinking through this process of how we get into this area in a church, we really got ourselves in a corner here that I don't think Jesus ever intended us to be in. And I'm not sure that there's an easy way out other than starting to undo the walls that we put up. How have we gotten ourselves into this predicament? Any speculations at the root? I honestly think that the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking about big C church, like the whole, all the Christians. But I think that we get so comfortable with each other in some ways that we're looking more at ourselves. And as we begin to look at ourselves, that's what we begin to filter our lens through. Victoria, you brought up the point of worldview in your sermon here on church and culture. And I think that is actually the core and the root of this issue is that our worldview has been the wrong lens. And, and so if I look at, say, an issue of a person who is struggling, I may have the lens on, well, that affects my growth, and so I shouldn't be near them. But if you had on the lens that God was wearing, and that, when, uh, the way that Jesus sees things, that same person, you look at them and say, wow, they need a lot of investment. I'm going to go hang out with them and see how I can influence them for Christ. I think that in there is one of the biggest root problems is that it's not even how do we grow, it's how do I grow. And we've made faith individualistic, which is also a hyper pattern of our culture and our world. And so sometimes the church looks more like the culture than it does as the church was intended to, that it's just a bunch of people coming to the same place for the same reason to become like the same person we profess in, but not together on our own pathway. And it's our own journey. And I journey with God. And so I'm focused on my growth and my spiritual journey. We don't think of other people because we're too concerned with ourselves. And that's not everybody. If Jesus hung out with prostitutes in his day, well, who would, who would the social outcast be in our day? Mm. Like, let's make it relevant and modern. Like, who are the social outcasts? Think of the people who are on, like, social assistance um, or in homeless shelters. Like, when was the last time uh, we invited people to our own house in our places of safety and security um, with people who we would consider dirty or lesser? Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm perfect because I definitely don't do this well. Um, but this sermon series has really challenged my thinking on how I interact with people around me. That oftentimes when I see people who just have a bad hand dealt to them, I oftentimes wonder, well, how'd you get yourself there? And a lot of times it's a product of the environment they've grown up in their entire life. Yeah. Even I was talking to, to a couple of people yesterday, um, and I know we've had conversations about this before. I realized after moving back to Presque Isle, I didn't have any non-Christian friends, like confession time. And so yeah, community, this like community aspect of faith is huge. But if it's staying within the Christian community, we're missing out on huge opportunities. And it's wild, like spending the time in prayer, asking the Lord and just 
having a worldview, like trying to take on that gospel or Jesus worldview, like how, how would Jesus engage this culture and these people has opened up huge opportunities for me to be able to connect with people who don't know Jesus in our community. And so that, that's been really huge for me. That's a really good point though, Parker, the, the whole individual like aspect and nature of our culture. So church community has a place. I mean, it's good to, to be in a church, Absolutely. to be in a fellowship, and to grow with people, right? I mean, I, I don't want to make sure that we're not just trashing the church community as is. But at the same time, what we're saying is we've got that down. We understand church community. We're there already, and we're growing really well. I think the community of faith is when we're at our strongest. When we understand that when Jesus says, leave your family and come follow me. Like be a part of this new culture that is intended to have the same tendencies and kind of the structures and being a part of this new family of faith under our heavenly father, God, and as brothers and sisters in Christ. So all followers of Jesus, I should treat you as my own brother and Victoria as my own sister, like love to a degree that you would have for your own family. And then together, we go out and make more space for people to join this family. That's one of the things that I realize, um, like as a youth pastor, that is really the missing piece of teaching students to really love Jesus authentically is that they need to love Jesus themselves, but also together. I'm, I'm noticing we don't have an honest view of what community looks like because Jesus never sent us out as individuals to share the gospel. He always sent us out in at least a pair. This is actually really good, because this is actually part of that conflicting message that is heard, is that, no, leave everyone behind, come and join the church community. And so that's where the confusion gets. We, we get this idea that we need to come and be part of the church, and that's it. But the intention of the community is to be equipped and sent out so that we're back among the people. Absolutely. We're just, we're real good at the, like, pendulum swings, right? So we see like a previous generation do something and it not be fruitful. And so our, like our fix to that is to go so far in the other direction. But if you look at acts, like let's go back to when the church was initially instated, uh, acts four 32, like all of the believers were united in heart and mind. They didn't consider their things, their own. They knew that, that it was, this community, this collective mindset. And the purpose of that was all for building the kingdom and making disciples. And so they met together and formation happened. They met each other's needs and then went out and the church like blew up in good ways. So we hear that. We look at what we're at now. We see the community aspect of it. We're at this weird stage then of how do we change what we've already done? Because we've already done the the opposite pendulum swing. We're inward focusing in the church in general. As we're looking at this inward focused church and trying to refocus it back outward, which I see happening in our culture now, how can we do that? How do people rewire their brains to go from trying to grow the church to go and be the church? Your wife preached a fantastic sermon on that in this series uh, on being a redemptive participant in our culture? Well, I mean, the definition that Christine gave is that we need to take who we are and the kingdom of God into the world to influence it. And basically, the idea of redemptive participation 
is saying that in the world's eyes, the church is looked down upon. Uh, people, Christians are generally seen as judgmental. The church in general is not a place where people feel safe anymore. And redemptive participation is basically being that. We are participating in the culture in order to redeem the view of Christ in the eyes of the people around us. And so that is really what we're talking about when we say, how do we, why do we go back in the world? Well, we're representing Christ. We want people to come to him. Because we represent Christ, his name has been tarnished in the communities around us and in people's lives. And so how do we then redeem the name of Christ by representing him well? The first two sermons of this series, we actually had four different words that we preached on. Uh, Victoria, you preached two of them, and Bud preached another two. Uh, what were those words again? Yeah, so the first, uh, the first two that I brought up were to listen, and that was a twofold listening. Like, listen to the Holy Spirit, based out of Acts 16. He's going to bring you into, into contact with people who need Jesus. But then the second aspect of that was to like sit down and have conversations with people. Listen to them before you like attack them or go at them or just dis- even disagree with them. Listen to their side of the story to get an inroad to share the gospel. And the second point I brought up was just to love people, like to simply meet them where they're at and just love them. And I think those two go hand in hand. What does it look like to meet someone where they're at and love them? Because it's relational, right? And- and I find a lot of times for me to love somebody, what what's that actually going to take? Hard work sometimes uh, and a laying, laying down of pride and of preference often. Because I know for me, I have a really small like inner circle of people. I tend to be more introverted. So sometimes people are really hard. But also taking intentionality to be able to go and just not talk, listen, lead with a smile. Little things like that can go a long way. And I know we have, we have a lot of stories of people here who are actively engaging the marginalized and who are super passionate about the migrant population that's here, the drug culture that's here. But it is, it is hard. Yeah, and that, that is probably one of the hardest things for people to understand. You actually assumed the word go was part of that definition, but that's not really part of the culture. The go aspect, as in go into the culture, go into the world, go into our communities, and intentionally seek people out who don't know Christ. Uh, there's almost a blockade of how do I talk to a non-Christian? How do I talk to someone who's not a Christian? Where do we even meet them? Like, where would I go to meet a non-Christian? And then where where do I start? <laughs> I just find that so funny. Where do I go to find a non-Christian? Walmart. McDonald's, probably anywhere ever you can find people who don't know Jesus. Uh, I actually think there's probably a larger population of people who don't believe than people who do believe. I think the real answer to that question is, okay, where are they actually? Saying that they're everywhere is kind of like a scapegoat answer. But I mean, we have, like in our own community here in in Prescott and Aroostook County, there's so many organizations that are set up to help people. So I'm thinking of like ACAP. AMHC, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the Pregnancy Care Center, the Martha and Marys, our homeless shelter. Like a lot of those people that would be connected with those organizations, both the staff and the people that they serve, probably have a huge need for hope. Like to say, look, there is a better way. Like it's one thing to go and relationally meet them where they're at, 
is huge. That's like step number one to like sit with you and treat you like a, a, an equal human being for who you are. But then to also say, look, the mess that you've gotten yourself in with whether it be finances or relationships or the loss of a job or the pain and suffering that you've experienced in life, that there is a better way to live, that there's a better source for life is huge. I think that's like real love to say, hey, I don't agree with the way you're living. And it's not because you're lesser than me, but it's because I actually want to help raise the quality of your life. So when do you bring in that type of conversation? Like, is it like the first day you meet them and the, within the first five minutes, you're like, yeah, you know what? I don't like the way you're living. You better get better. Probably not. Cause that's pretty, pretty offensive and in your face. But I think relationship does need to be established. And I think that's why your, your aspect of love them where they're at is so vital. And we forget. Because even sometimes when we go to people who don't believe, we're so focused on get you to Jesus, get you to Jesus, get you to Jesus, that we actually forget they're a human being and not a task. And it's interesting, like all of those places you listed early on. Yeah. When people are in crisis, there's this reality too, right? That they're open and desperate for hope and for uh, healing to happen. And so that's a really natural place. My question is like, how do you do it with your coworkers? How in the workplace, practically speaking, in the corporate workplace or in the like agricultural workplace, looking at our direct context, how do we engage people with the gospel? I think we need to live every day like we're missionaries. And I know that's kind of expected of a missionary to say that. But, you know, when I, when I woke up overseas, and um, even in Croatia, for instance, my job wasn't just to live life. I had to intentionally walk down the streets and intentionally think, I'm going to look for someone that doesn't know Christ. I'm going to look for someone to engage with. I'm going to look for a conversation opener to happen today. And because it's easy to start living life and kind of let that stuff pass by. But every day, I've got to wake up and say, God, I am ready for a conversation to happen when you open that door. And I expect those conversations to happen. And as, as my day goes by, I'm at a coffee shop. A waiter comes up, and next thing you know, I'm talking about God. You know, I'm sitting down at a bookstore. Someone next to me picks up a book title. Next thing you know, I'm talking about God. You can do that in the workplace. You can do that on the street. Wherever you live life, there's opportunity to bring Christ up. Because if you're sitting there and a coworker has something they want to talk about, they're going to be a lot more comfortable talking to someone they know than someone they don't. Our job in a lot of ways, is to help bridge those gaps right now in the workplace so that when they have the issues, they'll come to you and you have an opportunity to open up the door for Christ. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I love Ephesians 2.10. We are Christ's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. And so that kind of takes the onus in, in one regard, off of us, knowing that he's prepared the good works for us to walk into, I believe that he's got the divine appointments, then our, our responsibility in that is to have the eyes to see what those are, and then the willingness to obey and say yes, to jump in and walk in confidence in that. Uh, real quick, there was, a, there was a time before I finished my, my bachelor's degree in university, where for a summer I worked at an ATV dealership. And I was, I was probably the only like outspoken follower of Jesus 
I wouldn't say I was the only follower of Jesus, but I was very outspoken about it. Like everyone knew that I was going to a Bible college. At that point, I wasn't really, you know, convinced I was going to be a pastor, although I ended up being a pastor anyways. Um, And so I can remember like being outspoken um, about my faith and the fact that I'm going to Bible college uh, and I worked at Bible camps and, uh, okay, why do you care so much about church was a lot of the questions. And, And I realized the root of it was like, I was just open about my faith. It wasn't like I was shoving Jesus down other people's throat. It was just like, yeah, this is who I am. This is why on a Friday night, I'm not going to come out and get completely plastered with you. You're like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll hang out with you, um, but I'm not going to get smashed and drunk. Um, and it's not that I'm like, you know, resent you and judge you for that. It's just like, I don't think that that is, um, life-giving. I actually think that that's, you know, making life more miserable for myself. And I'll just choose not to do that. And then the questions come back, well, why? Why? And it's like, and that was like the first time in my life where I'd actually really think about why do I believe that? Why do I believe that not taking part in party culture and getting smashed and, and smoking weed and, and having sex with like 15 different girls in, in a year is, why is that not healthy? And I realized, oh, it actually makes me more lifeless. It like, it's almost as if it takes life from me, whereas following Jesus and, and experiencing the community of faith as we talked about and celebrating life um, in the sense of community and relationships with people that I love um, actually brings life to me. And worshiping on a Sunday morning like, brings life to my soul. I think what you're bringing up is another good transitional period here is that there is something about the outside church culture that intimidates people because we've been away from it so long. We actually don't understand it anymore. We're not fluent in it. And Christine actually brought up in her sermon, the um, idea that in order really to influence culture, you actually have to be somewhat fluent in it. And so how do we really bridge that gap then as, as church members who were, were told for years saying, you don't listen to secular music. Don't go to the movie theaters. Don't dance. Um, and that's just a little bit of our culture. Culture is made up of the arts. It's made up of our movies, our, our, the popular people. Um, all that stuff influences our culture, and our church culture has been so far away from that, that is it even okay to become fluent in the culture around us? Is there dangers in it? No, it is interesting. Uh, we were at a conference in Florida in last January called The Gathering, and I had a conversation with a couple of people. And the question was asked, if you could teach one thing to, to like Bible college students or share one piece of wisdom with them, what would it be? Uh, and and this, this guy answered, and he said, we should be training more missionaries. And that has stayed with me, and it's kind of rocked my worldview a little bit because I've never been like a missionary in a global context. I've done short-term trips, but I think this is something you can probably pipe in on. What does that look like? What are the implications of that? What does it mean and how does it influence us to kind of exegete our culture, like to take a look at our culture and find inroads? Yeah, this is, she's asking because I've had 12 years of missions experience. As I first arrived in Thailand, one of the things that you were trained in as missionaries is to start observing immediately and even taking notes if you can. 
because you don't know the culture. And so even just arriving at a, at a restaurant, I didn't do a single thing. I didn't order food. I didn't start eating until I started looking around and seeing what other people were doing. And so do they use forks and knives in Thailand? It's an Asian country. Shouldn't they use chopsticks? I mean, that's what I thought. Well, I was wrong. They don't use chopsticks in Thailand. How do they eat? And to observe them using their hands, they, use their, they do use utensils just like us, the, the types of food they would order, how they would order it, when they would eat. And you know what? I would make mistakes as I observed this and try to copy them. But they actually they loved that. They laughed at me. They thought it was funny that I was trying to learn a little bit more about their culture. But that's kind of the eyes that you enter a culture into. And so by, by someone saying be a missionary, in some ways, it's setting aside your own personal preferences. It's setting aside your own personal comforts and really trying to engage a culture that you almost know nothing about. And you begin to learn about that culture, not just for, for information's th- sake, but because you want to know the DNA of how they operate. And that way you can actually begin to work inside that culture and influence that culture from an inside standpoint. And even if you never become part of that culture, you can raise people up from within them who will then be able to impact that culture far more than ever you could. And in North America, that's a similar thing. There's people that, that have their own social groups. You don't need to be the one to change that social group. You only need one person and they'll do the rest. And so engage with people, learn from them, make mistakes. It's a lot of fun. I think um, Steve Addison, who uh, wrote the book, um, I think, Movements That Jesus Started, he told Christine and I once, just take a year, go and make a mess and see what God does. Give you the freedom to go out there and just do something and be bold. Looking at like missions from a, a local context as opposed to global is huge too, because I think some may be inclined to to skirt over that and say, well, I can do that if I'm in Thailand or if I'm in Croatia or if I go to Spain or wherever it may be. But what does it look like to do that here in our own culture? Like looking back at the in the world, but not of it. Okay. But how do we engage something we don't fully understand because we're so opposed to it because we think we need to be? How can we engage it? Where are the inroads? So to take that fresh kind of gospel look at it. I think Parker actually the other day said the word YOLO. And I asked him, what in the world does that mean? What did you tell me it was? You only live once. You only live once. I guess it was popular for a time, but I was overseas the whole time. It was popular. So I have no idea. That's very, very small time. Like when I was in like grade 10, six years ago now, that something has come in and out of trend in six years. And I think that that's a facet that when you look at engaging your current local context, what does that look like? What does it look like to make a mess uh, in the hopes that God will do something transformative in that, that culture? How much time do you spend investing in your community? Think of the single mom with three kids who is working two jobs just to put food on the table. What do you have for tools and resources, and what time do you have in your schedule where you can go to her house and fix some plumbing or fix the deck that's rotted, and where can you invest the money and the time and the resources to fix that deck with the purchasing of the lumber and the the nails and and using the tools required and taking the time to do it and not just put a Band-Aid on it, but fix it right. The kindness and love of Jesus met needs. 
Yeah, actually, we keep talking about trying to blend into the culture, but there is times that Jesus calls us to be anti-cultural. And our culture is so based around convenience that even with our time, we're thinking, now helping someone could be inconvenient. Going to this place is inconvenient. And we don't think of it, like, we don't say it out loud. I don't think any of us would ever say that out loud. But it's a subconscious Some of thought. us might. Some of us might. <laughs> Some of us might. <laughs> That's true. But I, I don't think it's one of those things that we intentionally think through. But there's a reality of being inconvenienced for Jesus that is countercultural, and yet that is what's going to change the culture the most. And that's that. Oh man, that's huge. And that. Uh, uh, yeah. Let me be transparent for a second. I am Type A, and am very task oriented. And so when I look at my schedule, and I'm like, okay, at eight a.m. I've got a meeting. At nine nine o'clock, I've got another meeting. Uh, meeting gets done at eight forty-five. Oh, I have a fifteen-minute window. I don't actually want to be interrupted in that that time. I don't, I don't want to do anything else. I want to get ready for my nine o'clock meeting. And so to have an interruption within that little 15 minute window, it's like, oh no, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got the nine, nine o'clock meeting. And I'm so like focused on what's next. What's next that interruptions are the inconvenience. And one thing that I've been learning uh, is that Jesus never ran anywhere. He always walked. And most of the gospel are recordings of Jesus being interrupted on his way to somewhere else. Applying that to my life, am I running so fast at such a fast pace that I forget to take time for all of the interruptions to love other people? And that that really goes into what Victoria was asking just a few minutes ago is how do you be a missionary in local culture or we need to be a missionary in local culture. In order to be a missionary in local culture, you have to be observant. You have to be able to tell where people are going, where do they hang out? Where are people in our community passionate about? What, what are community events that people actually want to get behind? And then we need to have the presence of Christ in those events. And we are that presence that goes there. He has put that on us to be his representation. Right. And so that's the question we need to ask ourselves as missionaries. And you're not talking about just pastors. Right. We're all called to be missionaries. The whole idea of going to make disciples was for everyone. Mm. And so I think that's the answer is open, like as we open our eyes and are more observant. Yeah, that's good. I think the, that's probably a really good takeaway nugget. Go to the places where non-Christians are and almost have the expectation and the okayness to be interrupted. It's a really good challenge to leave with. I know I'm challenged by that. Let's end with boldness. Boldness to go into the community, boldness to see where there are needs, and boldness to speak into those needs. Share the gospel, use your words, use your actions, use your resources. Amen. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Reframed Podcast. We won't have the same pause we did between episode three and four as we do between four and five. So I'm really excited for the podcast coming up. And so check back in a couple weeks. Uh, You're in for a treat.